Everybody get uh, lesson five. If you don't have it, we'll get you one. Lesson five. Yes, Nick. Okay, we'll get, we're going to pass some out. There's some coming. We have a few more weeks of uh, <clears throat> all of this material. There's nine sections of this material, and some of them are longer than others. So we're not sure exactly how long it'll take us, but <clears throat> it'll be a few more weeks for sure. And of course, lesson five, we're still talking about uh, our roles as uh, parents or disciplers in the home. And the first role we're talking about is is uh, the parent as a disciplinarian. And of course, a few weeks ago, we went over what unbiblical discipline looks like. Uh, several of you came up and told me how challenging that was and how much in your own heart you were going, oh, that's me. I do that. I do that, which is a good thing because now we can begin to work on those in our own lives. <clears throat> and then last week, <clears throat> we looked. we began to look at biblical discipline, what biblical discipline looks like and how uh, it can be um, carried out. <clears throat> the first thing we saw is that it follows God's example because it's loving. Biblical discipline is loving. <clears throat> loving discipline provides, therefore, beneficial limits for, um, uh, for our children. And those beneficial limits um, give us several uh, several things that will benefit, right? They provide a good setting for learning. These limits, these structure, this discipline. Ephesians 6, 4, bring your children up in the nurture and discipline of the Lord. This is what we're talking about. This standard, this structure by which you bring them up provides a good setting for learning. It establishes order uh, in your own home. It protects them. It prepares them for what life will bring because life is filled with limits, areas in which we don't get to just do whatever it is we want to do. <clears throat> it also reveals the need for teaching and exposes them to their inability to keep the standard, which therefore shows them a need for the Savior. So that's the first thing. It's loving. <clears throat> but in addition to that, it is also wise wise. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. <clears throat> wise. It's, it's follows God's example. God obviously is a loving God, caring God, which is the reason why he disciplines us. Hebrews chapter 12 clearly tells us that he loves those whom he disciplines, but he's also wise. God is wise. Wisdom in Proverbs is skilled living. That's the essence of simple meaning, if you will, for wisdom. When it says that this is the book of wisdom, this is the book that, that shows us what skilled living looks like. Um, and so when we set wise limits or wise rules or a standard that's wise, that simply means, first of all, that, that those rules are reasonable. Reasonable. <clears throat> what do we mean by that? Well, we mean that, that any rules that we set, reasonable rules are not burdensome rules. 
right? Because God is wise. God, God gave us only 10 commandments to follow. And he summed that up by saying that these are the two greatest, which is to love the Lord like God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So the two laws of love, if you will. And what happened with that in Israel? What did the Jewish nation do with that? What did the Pharisees do with the law of God? They created a whole host of laws, right? They made it burdensome. They created some 600 other laws that that caused it to be a burden just to keep, which is what Phariseeism does. That's what keeping rules for the sake of keeping rules or for the sake of attaining to some kind of standard does. It's a burden. And that's what happens in the home when we make unreasonable rules. Unreasonable rules just burden our children more than they need to be burdened. They, you know, sometimes we become, as some people say, a, a walking negative sign, a walking no answer. Remember when our kids were small, we had to sometimes uh, force ourselves to not see the negative all the time. <clears throat> I always look at our kids from a negative view. It was much harder for me than it was for my wife simply because I, I kind of look through at things that way. I'm looking for how things can be changed, and if something needs to be changed, then there must be something wrong, so let's focus on what's wrong. And uh, we that, that can be very difficult at times because it seems like there's always a, a new standard. <clears throat> but when it comes to the home, we have to be reasonable in those things when we are bringing rules and standards into the home. They have to have a good reason behind that. We have to consider the age of our children and the maturity level and their understanding level and all of those kinds of things when we think about the standards at which we give them. Therefore, it's going to be most important that we be patient, right? All of us struggle with patience from time to time. Um, It's part of our sin nature, part of our own selfishness, part of our own desire to do what we want to do, to get things over quickly. But it's important that we be patient as we challenge those under our care toward the diligence and responsibility that we're trying to instill in their life. You have to be patient. I remember I said last week, maybe it's Better to, when you're trying to overcome something, to do the hard things first, right? Do the hard things first. So maybe focus more on the hard work and attitude involved rather than the accomplishment of the task when you're trying to do something, trying to help them with something. Rather than accomplishing the task, just as you said accomplished, Focus more maybe on the hard work instilled in that task and the attitude in then doing that task first before you focus too much on it being accomplished. And I think that will help you be more reasonable in your expectations with your kids. I just talked for a minute about expectations. Expectations can be deadly. It can be deadly. 
through relationships. Right? We all have expectations, don't we? We all have them. And far too often, our expectations are not spoken. We have them. We require them to be met, and yet the one in which is supposed to meet them doesn't know what they are. And we bring that oftentimes into our own homes in our parenting. We do it in our relationships with one another as adults in all kinds of places, and yet we do it with our parenting in in the home. We expect certain things from our children, yet we've never expressed those expectations in detail, and so whatever it is we're requiring becomes unreasonable becomes a frustration and a problem. So we need to think about that. Major on attitude in the home. Major on attitude rather than the perfect accomplishment of some task. So they need to be reasonable, but they also need to be, number two, definable definable. And again, this, I think, speaks to the whole idea of expectations again. We need to give clear instructions. Clear instructions when we're giving out the information we require. And I think God has given us clearly an example of this. Many places, obviously, in Scripture, but the one that comes to mind, Genesis 22. Genesis chapter 22, God gives Abraham a task. He has an expectation from Abraham in this task, and he lays out exactly what he wants him to do. Genesis 22, verse 2, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. I always find it interesting that God, here is Abraham, he only has one son, and God identifies Abraham in that passage, in that verse, four different ways. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. (laughs) Abraham could not miss the point. He knew exactly who he was supposed to take, and he knew exactly what he was supposed to do and when he was supposed to do it, because the passage clearly says after that, verse 3, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. Split wood for the burnt offering, arose, and went to the place which God had told him. So Abraham did exactly what God had said immediately when God had told him to do it. So, when it comes to instructions then, we have to make sure we're clear in giving them to our young disciples in the home so that they understand the requirement, that they understand the expectation, they understand what we're asking. Not only the requirement, but they understand the consequences if they don't. See, we're, if you're giving a command to them, then make that clear. 
right? If you're making a suggestion, make that clear. Make it clear that you're, whatever it is you're asking them to do, we have to effectively communicate those expectations, those requirements to those under our care. And when we do that, then our children or people under our care learn how to pay careful attention to the instruction. Right? Because if you don't pay attention to the instruction, you might miss something, and that might be a problem. Proverbs Proverbs uh, 4. Proverbs 4, verse 20 through 22. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Why? Because they are life to those who find them and health to all their whole body. Pay attention. We want our children to pay attention. Pay attention to what we are saying. Now here's here's sometimes the tragedy. Sometimes we will tell our children to do something and they don't do it. Not because they haven't been told to do it. Maybe not even because the communication's been clear and the instructions are clear but simply because we haven't enforced those instructions over time. And so even when we're clear with a command, it doesn't matter. Remember I said last week, rules without, without teeth aren't rules at all. This is what happens. I've seen it a thousand times. I saw it in our own family in the early days. You tell your child to do something, they don't do it. If you let that habit go, there may come a day when your child is running towards the street and they don't see the car coming and you see the car coming and you say stop and they go, I'm not stopping. But if when you say stop and they don't stop in the small things and you instill the reality as to why they should stop because you speak, they should do it. When that day comes that tragedy may not happen. You understand the importance of that? It's that important. That important. So one of the benefits of having clearly defined rules is that those ben- is that they're measurable. You can you you measure the reality of it, right? You tell your those in your home, you who have small kids, go clean your room up. Well, if you don't define that specifically, well, their definition of clean is not your definition of clean, and there's going to be problem. You're going to get frustrated, and they're going to wonder why you, you told them to clean. They, you gave them a vague instruction. They did what they defined. And so you have to have these measurable rules. And it may be helpful to have your those under your care just repeat it back to you. What did I just tell you to do? Explain to me what I just told you to do so that you have clear 
expectations. So biblical discipline is wise. And those wise rules establish that they're reasonable, definable, and then number three, useful. Reasonable, definable, useful. If anybody has questions, just raise your hand. We'll get to it. Reasonable, definable, and then number three, useful. We're going to get down in some of the nitty gritty here about carrying out consequences. We'll get to that in a minute, but um, we have to demonstrate the blessings of obedience and the disastrous results of disobedience. Right? Love, love ought to be and should be the, the highest motivation for our obedience. Right? Why do we do what the Bible says as Christians? Because we say we love God, Right? Love should be the greatest motivation for why we do anything. Love is that motivation. But the Bible doesn't ignore the negative side, right? The, the cause and effect issue when it comes to stimulating obedience in us. Right? Hebrews 12. God loves, therefore He stimulates us at times by discipline. This is the issue. See, we some the world says discipline is not loving. God says discipline is loving. It's just another side of it. It's the cause and effect side, the sowing and reaping side. And you find principles of this idea all throughout Scripture. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's just turn to a few of these. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Notice the example Paul uses here in verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? So here's the, the reality, right? Everybody's in it, but only one's getting the trophy. Why? He says, well, run in such a way that you might win. Right? There's, there's consequences for how you go about this. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Then they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. I buff, buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly after I've preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. You see the consequence? There's a reaping and sowing principle there that I must carry myself in a certain way so that I win. I think I said years ago in teaching through 1 Corinthians, I may have even said it in this passage, 
What's the difference between first and second place in a race? Effort. Effort. One guy put in a little more effort, and he won. That's what it is. Self-discipline. Effort. Cause and effect. Results of a choice. We all make choices. Today, I'm not going to get up. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to do whatever. There's a choice. There's going to be an effect. There's a result to that. Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Principle of Scripture. Proverbs 13, verses 13 to 15. The way of the treacherous or the way of the sinful is hard. You continue down that road, it will be hard. This this sometimes is one of the, the main principles in counseling with anybody. Discipleship relationship, and you're having to bring truth to bear, and they don't want to do what God's Word says. You say, listen, that's not going to go well with you. God's Word is clear. Continue down that road, you're going to reap what you sow. It will not go well with you. It may not be now. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be a week from now. In fact, God may be so gracious that He lets that rope out go a long way, but it will not go well. You will reap what you sow. Proverbs 15, 19, the path of the upright is a highway. That's such a great image. The highway. It's easy to travel on the highway. It's faster to go up north on 93 than it is to go on the back roads. The way of the righteous, the way of the upright is a highway. So we we ask our children, really, in essence, when we're setting up rules, which way are you going to choose? But we're asking our disciples, our disciples, which way are you going to choose? You're going to choose to do God's way, or are you going to do it your way? This is a cause and effect benefit. The benefit of leaving foolishness and pursuing wisdom. That's the idea. And of course, we have other examples in the scriptures, right? Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son. You get this grand example of pursuing foolishness and repentance, right? Prayerfully, our children won't have to learn lessons that way. Some do. Some have to learn the hard way. Some have to learn to go against the counsel of wisdom. They go down the roads of unwise things, and they learn the hard way. But cause and effect, God uses that to lead to repentance. God can use consequences in a foolish heart and the foolish churches to bring that about. But cause and effect also demonstrates a contrast. A contrast. Right? After In Deuteronomy chapters 27 and 28, after Israel crosses the Jordan, certain tribes were at Mount Ebal, and they were shouting curses to the tribe at Mount Gerizim because they were shouting curses about disobedience as they crossed 
into into the the land and the other ones were shouting the blessings of obedience so this contrast is going on as they're as they're talking about what God had accomplished with the nation so there was a, a an object lesson happening there about consequences of sowing and reaping well it's that way at home right you have this idea these standards in your own home of rewards and consequences that show the contrast between doing what's right and following foolishness. Remember one time years ago when in our home, our, when it came to, to the dinner table, there was always, Beck was always making the meal for the family. And, and if there was any kind of unthankful attitude at the table, then you were just excused. You didn't get to eat. And uh, she made spaghetti one night and our oldest son said, I, I don't like spaghetti. He said, okay, that's fine. You don't get to eat. And, and uh, we set the table for four of us. There was five in the family. We set the table for four of us and he came to the table and he said, oh, okay, are we going to eat? She said, yeah, but you're not going to eat. Why not? Well, you said you don't like spaghetti and that's what we're having for dinner. So you don't get to eat it. So you can just go back in your room and, and we'll, we're going to have dinner. And he didn't get to eat that night. Well, he learned a valuable lesson, valuable lesson about sowing and reaping and consequences and attitudes and unthankfulness and all these kinds of things about his, his own time. He missed the meal. Well, he learned that lesson because he never missed another meal. Never missed another meal after that. And so, the, the idea is to, to try to affect the heart, to help them understand that, listen, choices are made and your choices have consequences. And sometimes those consequences can be very difficult. But there's also the idea of rewards, right? Rewards and consequences kind of go hand in hand. So let's, let's just talk for a moment about rewards. And we're, we're going to deal with, with kind of the idea of tangible rewards, but, but I don't want us to forget the reality that a clear conscience is a reward. Um, hearing you as a parent say, good job, that's a reward. Um, giving privilege to your Disciple in the home, maybe at an older age, because they've carried themselves responsibly. That's a reward. <clears throat> Although those aren't requirements. In other words, there's no requirement to have some tangible reality in the sense of a, a prize, if you will, just simply because they've accomplished something. A clear conscience is reward enough, and it should be reward enough. Sometimes we grow up into adulthood and we come into the church and, and maybe we truly are believers in Christ, but we've been trained in this idea that rewards are only tangible. And so when we obey and do the things of God, we expect some kind of tangible reward. Well, Lord, I was doing what you asked and why is my life going so crazy? Why are things falling apart? Don't I get blessing from you when I obey? 
And blessing becomes defined then as only things that are good and I like, and the things that are challenging and and cause me to struggle in life and, and challenge my spirituality to grow aren't blessings at all. Those are just tough times. Sometimes we've learned that because what we learned about rewards in the home wasn't fully balanced. We can give rewards for all kinds of things, you know, meeting challenges that we set up, effort, things like that. You can give, you can think those up any way you want, but ensure that that those rewards don't become simply some kind of pharisaical goal. Sometimes helping our children just understand having a clear conscience for doing what's right is the best. Now, consequences. Consequences this is where we get down to the nitty gritty because we want to talk about some the reality of instilling and, and imparting. Um, I'll use the term unnatural consequences, not because I don't think it's unnatural to to God and to us to do that, but because it's not coming from some foolish act upon the kid. And I'll, I'll explain that as we go. Did you have a question? Yeah, we're going to get into that in a moment. Yeah. Right. But I just was always, you know, because you can, you can go there just to make it convenient for yourself because you don't want to battle the attitude. So, and so you put the carrot out in front of it at first and say, if you do this, you'll get this. And instead of, you know, Johnny, you need to obey me or there is yeah, I don't think reward should be an incentive for obedience. I think a parent should have rewards on their mind that are given because obedience happened even though there was no carrot of reward. In other words, you say to so-and-so, this is what you need to do, and their attitude and actions were right, and they went and did it because you said it, because you instructed them to do it, and you gave full expectation to them, and they, they went and did it. And so you, maybe a little later, you said, you know what? You had a great day. I, I think we're going to give you the privilege of watching this movie or using your electronic device or whatever it is as a reward for that. No, but well, all I'm saying is that is something the parent decides to do, but it was never attached to the activity or the command given. 
Otherwise, it builds in what you're saying. It builds in this thing. Well, okay, I'll do these things because at the end of it is this reality. Now, consequences, by their very nature, involve pain. Now, we're not necessarily talking about physical pain, although that's certainly part of it. We're talking about pain in any kind of way. Inconvenience can be painful, right? Emotional pain is involved. All of these kind of things. Consequences involve pain. And it's either some kind of physical discomfort in the home that came through chastising our children. Your notes will talk about the term spanking. Um, and you can use that term if you will. I, I prefer the term chastising. I think it carries more of the idea because chastisement isn't only spanking. It's all kinds of uh, instilling of uh, 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 some kind of discomfort. So there's pain from physical discomfort, but there's pain from being removed from privileges or... or uh, other kind of things. When I was a kid, if we, I, I could go to bed at a certain time if I had the right attitude, if I did my schoolwork rightly, if my grades reflected that. And if I didn't, if it reflected differently, I lost that privilege. So there was a pain to me in that kind of way as I got older. So those are all the kinds of things that we're talking about. But consequences are most effective when there is a real cost. A real cost. Remember, God is the source of all of the privilege in life. No matter who we are, whether we believe in God or not, God is still the source of all the privilege. And so we as Christians need to teach our children to be grateful to God for everything. So the loss of any privilege is going to help them understand that principle, sowing and reaping. Right? An ungrateful uh, disciple in our home finds those things more difficult to grasp. If they find those things hard to grasp, then they need to instill, you need to have these consequences in their life so that they would understand and have a simple gratitude that any privilege in life is from God. <clears throat> so the most effective consequences have to have a cost, and therefore they must be enforced. They have to have teeth. Rules have to have teeth. All right, Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now that verse says God isn't mocked. Why? Why is God not mocked? 
because God does what he says he'll do. God always does what he says he'll do. And our little disciples need to understand that God expects them to obey their parents. That's what God expects. Ephesians 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? Because it's right. Because it's right. So disobedience, therefore, reaps consequences. Period. Exclamation point. So, you and I, as parents, undermine God's expectations when we allow them to just go on in disobedience. When we allow our little disciples in the home to go and linger in disobedience, what are we doing? We're sinning and we're undermining God's expectations for them. And as we know, Proverbs, when you withhold discipline, you what? Hate your son. You hate them. You don't love them, you hate them. So, think about your own parenting for a moment. All of us have said to our kids, come here please. Have you ever done this when they haven't? One. Two, three, four, five. They still haven't come? Anybody done that? Let's just be honest. <laughs> We've done it, right? We do it, right? And what are we doing? We are teaching in that moment the wrong standard. And when you are teaching a wrong standard that is difficult to enforce, you are enforcing the foolishness that's bound up in the heart of the child. You are enforcing this natural tendency to disobey. That's what you're doing. You're not being loving. You're not just exercising patience. You're actually enforcing bad behavior. So when you say come, your children ought to come. And if they do not come, what ought to happen? Consequence. Pain. Pain in some kind of way. If you consistently chastise when they don't obey, they will begin to come when you ask them. They will begin to come. Listen, I'm going to say delayed obedience, partial obedience, external obedience without a right attitude are all disobedience. Let me say that again. Delayed obedience Partial obedience, obedience externally with the wrong attitude are all disobedience. 
You have any examples in the in the scriptures of delayed obedience to God? Jonah. There's a problem. Consequences. How about how about um, partial obedience? Saul. <laughs> See, we all of us know. Boom, Saul. Samuel has to come, and Saul's got all this stuff after the Amalekites. What's this bleeding? Oh, we were going to sacrifice this to God. and Massive consequences. What about external obedience without a right attitude? All the Pharisees. All the Pharisees. All of it's disobedience, isn't it? Well, God requires obedience to be complete, and he requires it to be without complaint. The Bible says, do all things without grumbling or complaining. We had a rule in our house that was a non-negotiable rule. No whining. No whining. How do we fix it? Pain. Pain and a lot of duct tape. No, I'm just kidding. And a couple things happen, right? First of all, in the in the issue, whatever it is, God's working on you. God is using the situation to train you to follow Him in what He tells you, right? Regardless, you do what I say. Regardless. Abraham didn't know he wasn't going to be killing his son. But God said, you go do this. Right? Abraham obeyed. Regardless. So you do what is required of you regardless, because it's not about results. It's about faithfulness to the Lord, right? We want to be faithful instruments in the hands of God. I just want to be able to stand before the Lord and say, I did what you asked. I, I can't stand before the Lord and go, I did what you asked, but it didn't work. And yet that's what happens with us as parents, right? We start to implement what we're talking about here. And we go, we, we try and we're consistent for a couple days, maybe three days. It gets to the fourth day. It's starting to get arduous now. You get to the fifth day and man, this is like on me. You get to the sixth, seventh day and pretty soon you're like, this doesn't work. You ever done said that? Yeah, it doesn't work. It's not about working. It's about being faithful to the Lord. Do what God asked you to do. You're affecting the heart. and Let God over time do that. And if you've delayed that, if, if you haven't done that from the beginning, it, it, it may be a little more longer of a road. But God's challenging you. God's changing you. God's orchestrating in your own heart this reality of what it means to obey and do what He says, regardless of what you see happening. You cannot fight the urge in your own heart to say, 
I'm doing what you said, God. It doesn't seem to be working. Fight that. Fight that because it's not about that. You do what God has said for you to do. And don't, don't become, in consequences, a threatening parent. How many have ever said this to your kids? If you do that, you're going to get a whatever the consequence is. Spanking, restricted, whatever. That's just a threatening parent. Listen, set the rule and hold them accountable to the rule. It's that easy. Just set the rule and hold them accountable. But they might not like me. Well, I can assure you, the older they get, they will not like you. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's better to stand in the house of God alone than to be liked by the whole group of people and yet be on the wrong side with God, right? Woe to you when the whole world loves you. Listen, you have to be willing to oppose your kids. So don't say, if you do that again, you're going to get a spanking. Don't be like that. That's, a, that's just a threatening parent. <clears throat> also, don't, don't allow your kids to respond in, in these kinds of things. You give them an instruction, they say, do I have to? That's an attitude problem. It's an attitude problem. We're to do all things without grumbling and complaining. You're to be thankful for all things of the Lord. Do I have to is an attitude issue. Uh, you know, you're the parent. God's put you in their life for their good, His glory. You gave them an instruction. They're to do it. They're not to say right now. You mean right now? A negotiation starts to happen, right? As if you're at the negotiating table with your kid. We, we had a principle in our home that we instilled when they were young. We said, listen, if you have something to appeal, you can appeal to us. And they would say, can I appeal? And the only reason it was an appeal wasn't, I don't feel like doing it right now. It was only to inform us of information maybe that the other parent had given them that the parent instructing them at the time doesn't know. For instance, for instance, they would come to me and say, Dad, I want to have some, some of this for, to eat. Or I'd say, you can't eat that. And they'd say, can I appeal? And I'd say, sure. They say, well, mom said that it was okay if we ate this at this time. That's okay. See, that affords me an opportunity now. First of all, they didn't disobey. They were willing to do what I said. And it gives me the opportunity to go back now to mom or mom to come to, to dad and say, did, did this really happen? Or was that a fabrication? See, now, now there's a team going on here. Because your kids, as you know, as you grew up in your own home, are experts at trying to pit mom and dad against each other. They're experts at that. And you, you can be wiser than that because you were like that. And you can say, okay, here's how it goes. But I, as the parent, when it, even when our kids appealed, I could override that. I could say, okay, I appreciate that information. I don't want you to eat it. And guess what? They needed to obey, and if they didn't obey with the right attitude, they got a consequence. 
You see the principle? You, you just, you have to have that understanding. You're instilling that in their hearts. That's what God requires of us. <clears throat> so you have to have, these consequences have to have teeth. Um, and like I said, don't threaten, especially don't threaten with consequences you're unable or unwilling to carry out. My mom used to sew all of our clothes when I was a kid and she had these sewing scissors. And of course I was one of four brothers. Anytime we needed to cut something, we'd go get the sharpest scissors we could find. They were always her sewing scissors. We'd cut cardboard. all cut. We doled those scissors to no end. Infuriating her. She used to say to us, if you touch my sewing scissors, I'm going to cut your fingers off. My dad used to say from time to time out of frustration, boys, stop it or I'll nail your hide to the wall. When we're older we are now, we joke with them. Dad, what was that? What is hide? What nail my hide to the wall? I don't even know what that means. <clears throat> right? Don't be like that. Don't be a parent who, who gives consequences that you're unable or unwilling to implement. You, know, you get in the car for a vacation, you're driving down the road, the kids are out doing what they do because they know they can get away with it because you're in the car driving. You say, if you don't knock it off, I'm going to pull this car over and we're going to turn around and not have a vacation. Really? Really? <laughs> so everybody else suffered because this one kid got out of control. I mean, think about that. You don't want to do that. I mean, right? If you don't get in the car, I'm going to leave you. Yeah, right. Sure. sure you will. You want to, I know. I know you want to. You're not going to do that. What, us? <laughs> yeah, that's right. When the police come. If you ever do that again, I'm going to ground you for a year. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, that's what the kid's thinking. Sure, this will last maybe a few days. They'll get tired of it. Don't be like that. So effective consequences have to be enforced, but they also, and you all know this, they have to be, uh, you know, based upon whatever the child's age and maturity is, right? Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, because the sentence against an evil deed, get this, is not executed... Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed, therefore the hearts of the sons of men are given fully to evil. There's the principle. Laws without teeth are not laws. So your discomfort, your pain upon that child needs to be swift and it needs to be dramatic enough that's associated with the offense that it gives the result that they understand, man, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to do that again. Far too often, we, we like to think that we're doing what we need to do and we're not really doing anything at all. We're just threatening, repeating, you know, mitigating the chaos in some kind of way, throwing out all kinds of rewards that have nothing to do with rewarding. And little Johnny and little Harry and Mary or whatever are just running around like banshees and, and uh, 
an embarrassment to everybody. So consequences have to be enforced. They have to be based on the maturity level of your children. But also they can, must be based upon the nature of the offense. The nature of the offense. In other words, there's a difference between rebellion, not only outward behavior, but expressions of an inward attitude, and a bad habit. There's differences between that. Um, bad habits um, don't necessarily need the strongest of consequences. We need to teach and train. They're willing, they just have bad habits. But rebellion, you need to have the strongest consequences for rebellion. Just flat out rebellion. You need to have strong consequences for that. Don't, don't hide behind some kind of creative correction that avoids discipline in your child's life. Don't hide behind that. That's what Satan wants to tempt you with. And that's oftentimes what we succumb to because we don't like the carry out consequences, especially on our little ones that we love. But I'm telling you what, you don't do it when they're young. You're going you're gonna to regret it when they're older. You're going to regret it. So sometimes, the, sometimes with a little child, chastising them is the most merciful thing you can do. Total, when you, when you chastise, the event is over. It's done. You've dealt with it. Instead of this ongoing, continual, over and over and over again. And then lastly, they need to be done in love and with self-control. Self-control. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And of course, Ephesians 4.29 talks about us as Christians, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment that it might give grace to those who hear. So we need to be self-controlled when we do those things. We're not talking about fits of anger in the parent that goes and lashes out at young people. That's abuse. That's called abuse. There's laws against that even in our country. Even society recognizes that. But chastising your child is not abuse. The world will tell you it is, but it's not. And then lastly, it should be stated ahead of time as much as possible. Right? In other words, you need to let them know there's consequences for disobedience. That way they're not surprised. They're not surprised when it comes. They're not saying, well, you never told me. They should obey anyway, even if you didn't tell them. But it helps to mitigate some of those unforeseen troubles. Well, that was fast and furious.